You are listening to the Testudo Times Podcast Network. Welcome to Terps and the Pros on the Testudo Times Podcast Network. I'm Matt Levine with Jordan Gold today, and we'll start by recapping your Terps and the Pros in Week 8 of the NFL and Stefan Diggs. What another great, great week. He's had a few of these in a row now, Jordan. It's crazy how different a couple, uh, what the difference a couple weeks can make for a guy like Stefan Diggs. A couple weeks ago on this podcast, we're talking about is Stefan Diggs getting traded? What's wrong with Stefan Diggs? Why is Kirk Cousins so bad? And the narrative has just completely shifted over the past couple weeks. The Vikings are one of the best teams in football right now, sitting at 6-2. and two. Diggs goes for seven catches on seven targets. So that's a 100% completion rate right there for 143 yards. He had some big catches as long as it was 39 yards. And he tied Randy Moss for the Vikings franchise record with three straight games with over 140 yards receiving. And he joins only 15 other players in NFL history to ever achieve this feat. So it has been quite a few couple weeks for the former Maryland standout, Stephon Diggs. And I th- I think it you have to be optimistic for the future. You have to say this is going to continue. Obviously, last week it was part last week and the week before partially due to the Adam Thielen hamstring injury. Uh, Thielen is questionable this week, so we'll see what happens with that. Looks like he there's a good chance he plays, but nothing is uh nothing's for certain yet. But I think that even with Thielen back, Diggs is still going to be productive. There could be an off week here and there. They play the Chiefs this week, which is a, a much tougher matchup than the defenses they've been going against uh, the past couple weeks. So it'll be, I think it'll be a big week to see um, if this trend is going to continue. I'd love to see him break that record and uh, get another game over 140 yards. And what's been the change for... Kirk Cousins, why is there so much more success now? We, I remember literally a couple weeks ago we were saying how atrocious he was and how they couldn't uh, they couldn't handle having Dalvin Cook, Adam Thielen, and Stephon Diggs, three of the top players in their positions in the league. So what has been the change for the quarterback on the Vikings? I think for him, it just it's a lot about inconsistency and the type of opponents he's going against. You see these these last three weeks, they're going up against the Eagles, which we all predicted. We said that was going to be a huge week for Stefan because the Eagles' secondary is notoriously banged up and notoriously bad. So that was one where I think you can chalk that more up to the defense. Then they play the Lions, who's a much better defense and a much better secondary, and they Diggs is still extremely productive and the Vikings offense is still extremely productive they put up 42 points and then they play the Redskins not the best game on offense they only score 19 but they still get the job done and win for Cousins like I said I think it's about consistency he's just he's just very inconsistent he started off so slow playing against some better defenses the schedule eased up a little bit he had some weaker secondaries in the Redskins and in the Eagles and I think that's that's what we saw I I think For Cousins, the numbers have always been there. He's always been decent. Uh, His skill set has always been decent, but he's just struggled in the big moments and in the big games. And they have a huge game coming up against the Chiefs, regardless of of whether or not Patrick Mahomes plays. That doesn't affect Cousins. That doesn't affect the defense. 
Um, so I think I think this week is going to be a big test, and then they have the week after that a, a primetime matchup against the Cowboys, which is huge because Cousins notoriously struggles in those primetime matchups. So we'll see what happens these next couple weeks. I think it's going to be a great test to see if this Vikings team is legit and if this uh, super strong run for Diggs is is sustainable. And do you think it will be sustainable? Excuse me. I think I think to a degree. I mean, I don't think he's going to be putting up 140 yards in the next two in both of the next two games. But I think he's def. I think he's definitely shaken out of that slump. And I definitely I think he'll find the end zone in one of these two games. And I think uh, I think he'll definitely be productive. I think Thielen coming back certainly is a factor and is, is going to bring down those yards. I mean, that's, that's just, that's just conventional wisdom right there. I mean, him and Thielen, they're one of the best duos in the league. Thielen's one of the best receivers in the league as is Diggs. So it's, I think that that's going to play a big role. And I, I would say he's probably not going to break the uh, Vikings franchise record. I think he'll probably remain tied with Randy Moss with the three games with over 140 yards, but I still think the productivity is going to be there. And, Stefan Diggs fantasy owners and Vikings fans are going to be happy with what they see. Moving on to DJ Moore from the Carolina Panthers. Had a pretty quiet week coming off the bye. The Panthers got destroyed by the undefeated 49ers, 51-13. to So I keep saying every week, it's kind of up and down for DJ Moore. It's very up and down, and I think it's also uh, with a guy like Kyle Allen who's He's been good. That was his first loss, and actually the first game he's thrown an interception as a starter of the Panthers. So, I mean, he's obviously been really solid, but I think for him, he's not hes not the most skilled quarterback. He was, he was game managing. He was doing enough to win. He's dumping it off to Christian McCaffrey. He, he's changing the pace, getting it to Moore, and I think for Moore, as long as Kyle Allen is the quarterback, I think it's, it's really going to be a matchup-dependent thing. And they're going up against an undefeated 49ers team last week with one of the best defenses, probably the second best defense in the league to the Patriots right now. So I think that's why we saw more struggle. And I think that he still had a decent amount of targets. I want to say he had nine targets, five catches for 58 yards or uh, 38 yards, excuse me. But, uh, I think that uh, this is just a matchup dependency thing. I think for Moore, he's still young. There's going to be inconsistent performances, especially without your QB1. And it looks like, at least for now, they play the Titans this week. It's going to be Kyle Allen again. Uh, Coach Ron Rivera said that Newton is still in the middle of his rehab. So I don't know when we're going to see Newton back. But I think I think he does a little bit better with Newton when Newton's full strength just because Newton is so skilled. Say what you want about him. He's a really skilled quarterback. And when he's healthy, he's so explosive. And I think that when Newton does come back, I think that's going to benefit DJ Moore. And DJ Moore led in receptions once again. He's been doing that. And we keep saying he's the clear wide receiver one in Carolina. But just one touchdown on the season. Is that concerning at all for you? I think we we have touched on this in the past. And I think it's something I'm a little bit... A little bit disappointed in with DJ Moore. I think those touchdowns, he's he's more so of a big play threat. That touchdown came, um, I want to say it was Kyle Allen's first game, and it was his first or second game. And Moore only had that game, he only had one catch for 52 yards, and that was that touchdown. So I I view Moore as a big play threat, and I think that he in this offense, that's kind of what he is and why he doesn't get those touchdowns because 
when they're in the red zone, it's going to McCaffrey. Or when Cam Newton's playing, it's going to be a rush. Or it's going to go to Greg Olson. Like, they just have so many red zone guys and more. He's not like a big-bodied receiver. He's more of a speedster. He's explosive. He's running past cornerbacks. The red zone isn't necessarily his strong suit from what we've seen so far. I thought it was going to be a little bit better this year. Last year, he only had two touchdowns, so he only needs one more to match that. But I think I think he will match that. I think he'll surpass that. But I, I, there's, there's a reason why he only has one touchdown on the season, and I think it is partially due to his skill set, what he brings to the table as just so explosive and maybe not having the greatest red zone size. And then also, I mean, when you have a guy like McCaffrey, how are you not going to give it to him in the red zone? He's He's been the best skill player in football um, this year. So I think I think that's why. Yeah, I agree. I think he relies more on the big play and getting, as you said, obviously this one touchdown is a 52-yard touchdown where he caught it and ran, broke tackles, and made the play himself. So I think he's more of that kind of receiver than, as you said, getting bodied in the end zone and making a catch over someone. And obviously they do have so many other red zone threats. So look for DJ Moore to make another big play against the Titans this week, potentially. And you said Kyle Allen will start once more. The Titans are another they're another tough matchup for receivers. Um, I was looking in fantasy, they rank they rank as the tenth hardest opponent for receivers. So that's that's gonna be a tough matchup, but obviously not as tough as the 49ers. And I think we see the Panthers bounce back this week. I think that's gonna be a close game. Maybe played in the trenches a little bit. Both have pretty strong defenses. So I think that we're gonna see a tough game, and I think Moore will definitely be, it might not be a crazy game, it might not be 100 yards, but I think he definitely has a better game, maybe around 60, 70 yards, and maybe he maybe he finds that end zone. And I also think it would be, he's so fast, I think, we've seen them do this in the past, they give him the ball on an end around or a jet sweep, I think that could be effective in short yardage, short yardage situations and maybe um, around the goal line, so that could be a way we see Moore find the end zone. And Darnell Savage back with the Packers. Seven tackles, which led the team in their win over the Chiefs. He's been so special this season when he's been on the field. Just really, really great. He had seven tackles in this one. First game back since he got injured in week five. And he just, he it shows that he needs to be on the field when he's healthy. I mean, looking at Twitter during that game against the Chiefs, um, it was all, all the Packers people and all the NFL analysts were saying how great it was to have Darnell Savage back on that defense. He, he has really shown through those games that he missed how much of an impact he has on that Packers defense that has been much improved this year. And it, it's in large part due to his play. He's been, he's been so great. He's been one of the best rookies in the league right now. And I think that the loss of the couple games is going to hurt him for the defensive rookie of the year. I think, I think he's got to be viewed as a long shot right now. Nick Bosa has been playing incredibly well. So has Josh Allen, Devin Bush, Brian Burns. So that loss of time really hurt him, but I think he's still going to be up there. He's still going to be in contention, but his odds have shifted. He's now plus 1800. So he's definitely a long shot with, Nick Bosa sitting at the top at minus 150. So I think I think people are viewing Nick Bosa as the heavy favorite now with the play, rightfully so, 
with the play that he has put out. So I think that that could be a long shot for uh, Savage, but his play is just so impactful for the Packers. He's certainly already one of the best players on their defense, and I know that they're not going to want to lose him again. I mean, you saw it, seven tackles. He led, he leads the team in his first game back. I mean, this guy has a huge impact on their defense, and it's going to be like that for years to come for sure. And he he's always a guy that's been a ball hawk, but now he's getting these tackles as well. He's he, every broadcaster seems to say it too. He's all over the field. He's always around the ball. And I think that's why he's getting the tackles up, leading the team in tackles. He's just he's just a great presence. He looks like a veteran almost out there. Oh, he totally looks like a veteran out there. He's really become one of the leaders on that Packers defense, even as a rookie and with such such a veteran presence in that locker room. But he's, he's a guy that the players look look upon because his play is so good and they they rely on him so much and we saw them struggle without him and with him back I think the Packers are certainly a Super Bowl contender I think there is a really good chance that we we're gonna see Darnell Savage going deep in the playoffs maybe making a Super Bowl run representing the Terps there and potentially having JC Jackson up against them I mean the Patriots yeah. are on a roll that'd be pretty cool to have two Terps in the Super Bowl that would be very cool. Also, Byron Coward on the exactly, Patriots, yeah. who is a healthy scratch most of the time, but still on the roster and still someone the Patriots obviously like if he's still on the roster there. So Yannick Ngakwe tormented your New York Jets, our New York Jets, but we won't get into our our fan base right now. But he had two sacks against the Jets last week and had eight total tack. Our team had eight total sacks, rather. He's just been phenomenal in these games against teams that are worse than the Jaguars. And I think he's he's been solid all season, but there are some games where he's obviously had a little bit less production than others. But this one, he really just – he looked great again. And obviously it came against the Jets, which we don't know how impressive that is, but it doesn't matter. Two sacks, that's very solid. Well, first of all, a big congratulations to Yannick. He, with his second sack against Sam Darnold in that atrocious offensive line, he moved to third all-time in Jags franchise history in sacks. He has 33-and-a-half career sacks, so big props to him. I mean, that's only in a couple of years in the league. Obviously, the Jaguars are a younger franchise, but still, nonetheless, very impressive because of the defenses that they've had over the years. And it was it was a great game. I I predicted this. We didn't talk about the NBA on the podcast or we didn't talk about the NFL last week on the podcast because it was our NFL preview or because it was our NBA preview, excuse me. Um but I had talked about it in a uh, article I wrote um previewing the M- the NFL week ahead and I said he was going to exploit the Jets' offensive line. The Jets' offensive line is terrible. It's it's absolutely it's one of the worst in the league. I, before this game, I had wrote that they were giving up the fourth most sacks to opposing defenses, and that number definitely skyrocketed. The Jet the uh, Jags had eight total sacks. Yannick accounting for two of those, and I mean it was just too easy for them. I mean Yannick he was he was just a beast out there. The Jets couldn't stop him at all. And I, I think this play is going to continue. I think that, like Diggs, he had some early season struggles, but for Yannick, that was caused because of injury and because of his holdout. And I think I think he's over that. I think he's healthy, he's focused, and he's playing great football. Abs- absolutely great football. He had the pick six the week before. He follows it up with his two-sack performance. And like we've, we've brought up time and time again, 
He's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. He's trying to make a statement. He's trying to say, Jags, you better extend me. Do not franchise tag me. I'm going to, I'm going to walk. I'm going to sign a lot of money if you, if you don't franchise tag me, if you don't extend me. So I think he's, he's really working his hardest to get that big payday, get that first big payday in the NFL. Especially a guy who comes in a third-round pick, has really proved himself to be one of the best uh, defensive ends in football. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Diggs and Ngakwe in the Pro Bowl this year. I think they need to continue doing what they've done the past couple games versus the first couple games. But I, I wouldn't be with the way they're playing right now. If they if they can keep this up to some degree with this level of consistency, I mean, we're going to see them in the Pro Bowl. I mean, it's the, the numbers don't lie. They're they're putting out great performances week in and week out um, the past couple weeks. And I I don't think it ends there. They got the Texans this week. They're playing in London. So Ngakwe joins uh, some tur- uh, a couple weeks ago. We had DJ Moore. And Jermaine Carter with the Panthers, they were in London. So Ngakwe joins them as uh, having games in London this year. And they play the Texans, which notoriously not the best offensive line. It's been better this year with the acquisition of Laramie Tunsil. But I think that Ngakwe could have a big day. And I, I wouldn't be surprised at all. I mean, Deshaun Watson's always moving around. It's tough to take him down. But Yannick is explosive. He's fast. He can get to the quarterback. I would not be surprised to see him put up another sack. He's just so big, and he just looked so much better than every Jets offensive lineman. He was, he was just able to attack Darnold the whole time, and I mean, he just kind of looked like Jets, a man among boys, basically. The Jets had no chance. I mean, he was he was just destroying them. It was it was it was sad for for the Jets, but for Yannick and his Jags defense, I mean, it was it was a feast. And you mentioned the Pro Bowl and how you think it will be Diggs and potentially Ngakwe. Do you think Savage could potentially get to the Pro Bowl? Uh, it's definitely tough for rookies. I think, I think I'd say probably not, especially with the missed games. I think that'll be a goal for him next year. Uh, for me, like I, I like to c- compare it to other people who have, who have been success, other safeties who have been successful in their rookie year. And uh, the last, uh, well, there's Derwin James. I think he made the Pro Bowl last year for the Chargers. He was a rookie, and he was he had one of the best rookie seasons ever. But then also Jamal Adams from the Jets, obviously in the news a lot lately. We're not we're not going to touch on that. But he was also one of the best rookie safeties. He did not make the Pro Bowl that year, but ended up making it the year after, which was last year. So I think for Savage, I think his path looks looks more similar to Jamal Adams, where I think he probably does. He's probably fringe this year. I, I say he probably doesn't get in because I feel like these All Star games don't favor rookies. Even like you have to be so good to make it as a rookie. And he, I think maybe Nick Bosa probably has a chance, but I'd say of the rookies, that's probably about it. I think for Savage, that'll be more of a year two goal. And which of these Terps has the best week in the NFL in Week Nine? Uh, it's tough. That's that's a really tough question, but I think I'm gonna go. I'm going to go with Savage. I think Sa- the Chargers have really struggled on offense this year. They play the Chargers this week, the Packers, and I think that he has a really good week. And I don't think Mahomes is playing for the Chiefs, so I would have said it would have been Diggs because I thought that the Vikings would probably be playing from behind. They'd have to pass more. Uh-huh. I'm not really sure what the Chiefs' offense will do without Mahomes, but I'll take Ngakwe again in London against the Texans. Obviously, much harder to sack Deshaun Watson than it is to sack Sam Darnold because the offensive line and just being a mobile quarterback. But 
I think coming off a game with two sacks, riding momentum into London, that's a big game, prime time early in the morning here in, in America. So I think he has a big day and another big week for the Jaguars. Yeah, that game is at 9.30 a.m., so if you want to watch Yannick, you better set your alarm for an early morning wake-up and uh, watch that thing in bed. And moving on to the NBA, where regular season action has kicked off. We had our NBA preview last week, talked about all the Terps. So we'll start by talking about the main one, Kevin Herter. He's been pretty, pretty solid, and now with... Trey Young, the point guard on the Hawks, going down with injury last night. or When this podcast comes out, it would have been two nights ago. So I think I think he's going to step into the role and play a really big spot when Young is injured. Yeah, so what, what the reports have said is that this injury to Trey Young is not too bad. It looks just like a little bit of a sprained ankle. He's day-to-day. He's going to miss a couple of games, maybe only one or two. We'll see what happens. But um, I think Herter is definitely going to step up. We He hasn't been amazing these first couple games, and I think that's due to the injury that he had throughout the offseason and in the preseason. I think, I mean, this is the first time he, he didn't play in the preseason, so these games are the first games he has been back from that injury. And we've seen him getting better and better as the games have gone on, the minutes going up. He hasn't, he hasn't really started yet, which when we had talked to Chris, he had said he had thought, Herter had really solidified himself in the starting lineup, and I think that's that's probably due to injury. I think we'll see Herter back in the starting lineup soon. He started a lot of games for them last year, and I think once he's back to full strength, he will be starting. He's averaging only six points a game right now and only 3.8 assists, but like I said, these minutes have been limited around 20 minutes or so per game, and I think that he's going to shake the rust off, and I think he's going to be fine. I, th- I think this this is just a rust factor. I think this, I mean, if you think about it, this is really his preseason because he didn't have a preseason. So I think once he shakes that rust off, once he's feeling a hundred percent healthy and confident in that knee, I think he's going to be playing much better. His best game so far came against Orlando a couple of days ago. He had 10 points on three of seven shooting. And right now the Hawks are sitting at two and two. They started two and now they've lost their last two games, which they're playing tougher teams. They lost to the Sixers and to the Heat. And I think the Hawks the Hawks are going to be fighting all year. They're, they're going to be fighting for the playoffs. I, I don't know if they make it. That We'll see what happens. I think that has a lot to do with how Trey Young plays, which he's been phenomenal these first couple games. Absolutely sensational. He's been one of the best players in the league. And I think that a lot of the Terps on this team, they predicate around Trey Young. I mean, he's the point guard, so obviously that's the case. But... He does such a good job of finding his teammates that, like, someone like Herter and Len, like, we saw it last year when Trey really came into his own last year and during that final stretch of the season. That's when Len had his best games. He was averaging a lot. He was he was averaging career highs in points. It was his best season of his career last year. So I think that once Trey comes back, once everyone gets into their rhythm again, I think that we're going to see the Terps playing better. And Herter, he, he's been able to shoot well still. It's not obviously the scoring isn't there, but in in terms of how he gets the shots up, he's been hitting them. He just hasn't been able to take that many. And I think you said once he's fully healthy and has confidence in himself, has confidence in his knee, and once the team has the confidence also in him to not get hurt again, I think 
there's no there's really no ceiling. He can go as high as the sky, and I think he's so talented. He can shoot so well. He's and as Chris said last week, this year he could potentially solidify himself as one of the best three point shooters in the league. And I think he can do that. I don't I don't want to say he's the best. That's Steph Curry by far. But I think there's a chance he does put himself in the discussion for one of the better three point shoot shooters in the league. But he has to be healthy to do that. And I think that just comes with time. You said this is like his preseason almost. He didn't play in the preseason, so he's still warming up. It's good it we don't know how long it'll take, but assume within the next few weeks Herder really starts to pick it back up and I think he'll play much, much better than he is right now. And moving on to Bruno Fernando. He's been really, really solid. A big surprise so far. At least for me, a big surprise. This has been the biggest surprise by far of any of the Terps in the NBA. We talked to Chris last week. He said, Fernando, he's the third center on the roster. And like I, I had suggested a couple weeks before, and Chris kind of confirmed my thoughts. He said maybe he spends a little bit of time in the G League if he's not playing too much. And I, I think it's been shocking how much Bruno Fernando has been playing. I don't think anyone could have expected this from the start. I mean, we all know Bruno Fernando's a really good player and what he adds to a team from what we've seen the past few years when he's been in Maryland. He's a dominant force in the paint, and he's such an energetic and such a great teammate. But I think I think it's surprising what we've seen from Fernando so far. He's really solidified himself, it looks like, as the number two center on the Hawks roster behind Alex Len. We Chris had said he thought that that, was, that spot was going to be for Damian Jones, who they acquired over the summer from the Warriors. But Jones ends up getting a DNP in the first game, and then he's, only play, he's played sparingly. Bruno's played more than him in every game. And Bruno, the first game, the first game was actually his biggest minutes. He played 14, then he plays nine against the Magic. Or excuse me, his biggest was against the Sixers, where he had 16, and then 12 against the Heat in their last game. So he's obviously not playing a ton, but he's getting he's getting that second center minutes behind Alex Len, and I think he's he's done well. He's averaging 6.3 points, 3.8 rebounds per game, and that's. It's really solid for the amount of minutes he's been playing. I think he's been productive. We've also seen him stretching out. He's hit a couple threes. There was that one assist from Herder to Bruno uh, for a three, and everyone on Twitter was like, this is all how we expected it to be. Herder throwing the uh, the assist for a three-pointer to Bruno, which was I thought was pretty funny because, I mean, at Maryland it would have been the opposite. Uh, you know, they'd kick it into Bruno in the post and he'd hit Herter in the corner for a three. And I think I think it's really it's really good to see that Bruno has been playing with that confidence uh, from beyond the arc, because as we've seen in the NBA over the past couple of years, this is, is a three point shooting league. Now it's there's no mid range anymore. It's a, all the analytics say shoot threes, shoot threes, shoot threes. All the bigs now that they, they shoot threes all day. And I think. That, that was an emphasis for Bruno coming into the league was to improve his shooting. And I think it's it's a great sign to see that he's taking these shots with confidence. He might not be shooting them at the highest percentage, but he's taking these shots with confidence. He's actually shooting 40% from three right now. I don't know how many attempts he's had, probably not too many. But I think that if he's taking these shots, like he never he rarely took threes at Maryland unless it was you know desperation at the end of the shot clock. So I think... Shooting 
these threes with confidence like he has, I think that's a huge step, especially, I mean, only four games into the season. I mean, I feel like the sky's the limit for him if he's already so confident in this, in this shot. And I think with the way Alex Len has been playing, we'll get to that in a second. I think that maybe there's a chance Bruno slides into that starting center role at some point this season. I think he's been, I just think he's been a surprise. He's been so good. You said shooting threes. He's been dunking. He postered someone last night. I don't remember who it was two nights ago. Um, but he he's dunking well. He's shooting well. He's rebounding, <coughs> passing, really doing everything he can. And I think he's he should earn more minutes based on the play he's had and the limited time he's been on the court. He had nine points at the half against Philadelphia, which in my opinion is the best team in the East by far. Um, and then he earned himself the halftime interview. And that was on TV. So he's getting more comfortable. He's becoming this kind of guy that everyone's going to know about. Everyone's finding out about him more. And I think he deserves this recognition. He's been really solid. You mentioned that game against Philly. That was definitely his best game. He finished with 11 11 points and four rebounds. So that's, that's a really strong game off the bench. If you're getting that from your second center, you're happy. And I know the Hawks... The Hawks have looked good. I think I think this is going to continue for them. They have a little hiccup. They lose to the Sixers in a really close game, which obviously, as Matt said, I agree with him. I think that's the best team in the East. And then they go up against, on a back-to-back, a tough Heat team on the road. So, I mean, and they also played them pretty close. So, I think I think the Hawks are have a, have a solid chance. They're going to be fighting for the playoffs, and I think that these Maryland guys are going to be key. If they can play well, I think that they, they could put this team over the top. And I kind of agree. I think there's a potential landing spot of him in the starting five. I mean, I think he's just been he's been great early on in the season. He's he's not even comfortable yet. He said it. He's still adjusting. He's still getting comfortable. This guy, his home was basically Maryland. He didn't know anything else after he came over to to Maryland. And I think now being in Atlanta, he he's I think it helps him so much to have a guy like Kevin Hurd there who he played with in college. That's his friend already. That helps with adjusting to the NBA. But he he hasn't said that he's 100% comfortable. And I think as he gets more comfortable, he's going to produce even more. And I don't think there's stop. You can't stop him. And I don't think you could stop Kevin Hurd. I think that duo is going to be great in the NBA. For sure. I think that they, I think that that duo has a chance to be really impactful for the Hawks for years to come. And Alex Len also on the Hawks, four points per game and 4.3 boards so far per game. I mean, we expected him to be pretty solid, at least in my opinion. And he's only shooting twenty-seven, about 27% from the field. And that's just not what you want as a center, especially. Centers usually have really high field goal percentages because they take shots from inside the paint or somewhere close to the basket, but he hasn't been able to knock them down. And I don't really know what to attest the struggles to, but there's a chance he gets slid out of the starting five for Bruno. This is this is pretty brutal so far. Alex Lund has to be by far the biggest disappointment thus far for the Terps in the NBA. And we, I, I had such high hopes for Alex Lund coming into this year because of how well he played at the end of last season. He was he was just scoring the ball like crazy. Trey was getting him the ball in the right situations. He was stepping out, he shot a career high uh, percentage from three last year. And I mean, he's not going to sugarcoat it. He's been awful. 
I mean, he's been their starting center. The minutes have gone down every single game. He started off the first game. He had 24 minutes in that game. By the time they're in Miami, he's only playing 18 minutes. And I mean, he's just, he's, he hasn't been good. And I don't know what that is. Maybe some early season jitters shaking off the rust, similar to Herter. But I mean, Len, Len played in the preseason. Len had the whole off season and all that stuff. So I think I I don't know what this is and I hope he can break out of it because I know myself and lots of other Terps fans who follow the NBA had huge hopes for Alex Len this year. And I, we, we all want to see that come to fruition and obviously it's early. This could change so soon, but so far it's, it's not looking good. And I think we could down the line, if, if his play continues like this, see a change at the center position, whether that's to Bruno or if that's to Damian Jones, that'll remain to be seen, but I hope that doesn't happen. I really thought that this this is a contract year for Alex Lent. I thought he was going to play well, earn himself a nice contract, whether it was with the Hawks or somewhere else, but I think that, I, I think, I think he has to break out of this. There's no way he can play this bad the rest of the season. I mean, he's just, this is like a career worst start to the season. I mean, it's really bad right now. I mean, 27 percent from the field that's that's really bad for a center but I think that's going to improve I think that this is just a case of some some early season jitters shaking off the rust and I think he's going to break out of this and I I think he's going to still be productive and be the starting center for the Hawks and really be the beneficiary of some of those Trey Young drives to the basket dumps it off to Len for a big slam and we'll have to wait and see, obviously, for those guys on the so-called Terpalanta Hawks. But on the Minnesota Timberwolves now, Jake Lehman, he's been really solid in the first couple games with a new team. I mean, he's really shooting well. He's passing well. He's playing defense, really everything. And I think he's going to earn a lot of minutes. He hasn't been starting yet in the regular season, but I think he'll get a lot of minutes off the bench for the Timberwolves. I think it's... I mean, Fernando has been the best Terp in Atlanta, but Lehman has been the best Terp overall. I mean, he's shooting the ball very well. He's averaging 9.3 points per game. He's rebounding. He's passing. He's he's doing great. His best game was against the Hornets. He had 12 points against them. He came off the bench every game. And the Timberwolves are playing. We didn't expect much from the Timberwolves, but they're 3-1. and one. They're playing really, really well. They, had, they suffered their first loss. Um, last night, which was against the Sixers, who the Hawks also had lost to. And uh, I think Layman's going to con- continue to contribute, whether that's in that sixth or seventh man role or if he eventually slides into the starting lineup. I, Layman's a, a really solid piece for a team like the Timberwolves. The Timberwolves, they're obviously, their focus is, is Carl Anthony Towns. But I think Layman has, he's going to have a big role there. Whether it's starting, whether it's off the bench, I think that he's a really important piece for them. And if he can give them this level of, of production all season long, maybe score a little bit more, he's going to be he's going to be someone they really rely upon. Yeah, and he's definitely. I think he's solidified himself already in this rotation that they use. I mean, we saw in Portland he was used pretty much. He was used a lot in the regular season, and then once the postseason came, they made a couple trades, and he really just didn't. He didn't see the floor, and now I think, depending on if they make another trade or not, Lehman should right now see a lot more minutes and just get a lot of playing time on the floor for the Minnesota Timberwolves. I think he's really proven himself that he belongs on this team. He belongs 
to have minutes and he belongs in the NBA as, you know, a solid role player. And I think that for Portland, a big issue was consistency and also consistency in minutes. We saw some games he would start and play a lot. Other games he'd start and never come back in the game. Other games he just wouldn't play at all, like we saw a lot in the playoffs. So I think in Portland, it was really tough for him to find his rhythm, especially playing with two guys like McCollum and Lillard who, you know, dominate. They're amazing players, but they're, they're taking all the shots there in Portland. So I think that on a team with more opportunity, like the T-Wolves, who aren't as good uh, talent-wise on the roster, I think he really has an opportunity to prove himself and become one of the, be- one of the better role players in the NBA. And the Hawks will go and play – or they stay home now to play the Heat on Thursday night. Timberwolves travel to D.C. back near Layman's old hometown in College Park in Maryland. So they'll play the Wizards. And what do you expect from all four of these guys in their next games, the Hawks playing the Heat and Layman and the Timberwolves playing against the Wizards? So for the Hawks, uh, Trey's definitely not going to play against the Heat, it looks like. So I think that's it's going to be an opportunity for Herter especially to show out, break some of that rust off, and have a nice game. I, I'm really curious to see how Herter does tonight. I'm curious to see um, what those minutes look like. And I'm curious because they, they really don't have another point guard on that roster. We talked about it with Chris last week. I said, does Herter have a chance to get some of those backup point guard uh, minutes? Because on that roster, it's, it's not – a very guard-laden team. You have Evan Turner, who will get some of those minutes at point guard. I'm, I'm really curious to see what Coach Lloyd Pierce does with those point guard minutes and see what uh, role Herter plays in facilitating for the Hawks. Obviously, something we talked about with Chris, which I agree with him, is that Herter, while he's athletic, I'd say he's sneaky athletic. You wouldn't expect it from a, a guy like him. He's probably not athletic enough to cover the opposing team's point guard. So I think that is one of the fallbacks for having Herter as your facilitator. So we'll see what happens. I'm really curious to see what the Hawks lineup looks like tonight. Maybe Herter gets his first start of the season. Maybe he doesn't. But I'm curious to see what role he plays at the point guard position. So thank you for joining us on this edition of Terps and the Pros. And stay tuned with all of our coverage at Testudo Times for all of these guys across all leagues in the professional leagues. Thank you for joining us once again on Terps and the Pros on the Testudo Times Podcast Network.